0: Thank you so much, Paul. Good morning and welcome. We're glad that you are here, and I'm glad that you are here. And I hope you've already enjoyed the time when we've been able in musical worship and in prayer uh, just lift our hearts before the Lord. And I appreciate those who have helped lead us to see Christ high and lifted up in this place um, because our focus is upon the Lord Jesus Christ and all that he has done for us. And uh, God speaks to us through our worship. And God speaks to us through the word. And now it's our privilege to share some time together in the word of God. Both during and a few weeks after the 2012 Summer Olympics in London, England, gym membership in North America increased by 15%. Why during that kind of four week period did so many people in North America run out and buy a gym membership? Well, they saw these incredible athletes on television and thought if I get a gym membership, uh, if I actually go to the gym, by the way, only 5% of people who buy a gym membership ever go to the gym more than one time in a calendar year. Says something about our culture, doesn't it? But doesn't it sound impressive to say your friends, I have a gym membership? <laughs> kind of useless unless you use it. So why did so many people during that time period run out and buy a gym membership? Again, they saw these athletes and thought, if I go to the gym and I get in shape, and I'll probably never make it to the Olympics, but at least I can, I can be like these incredible athletes. They wanted to imitate these incredible athletes that they saw on television. Uh, growing up, when I was young, a uh, hockey night in Canada basically was only on Saturday night. Some of you remember that. It always started at 8 p.m. And uh, especially as a young child, I was only allowed to stay up and watch the first period. <laughs> was not <that> a drag. <laughs> but I grew up watching players like Ken Dryden, uh, Tony and Phil Esposito, uh, Mike Bossy, uh, later on uh, Wayne Gretzky, Daryl Sittler of the Leafs. Uh, They they were the players that we enjoyed watching on hockey night in Canada and on Saturdays during the day before Saturday evening that My older brother and I and the kids on our street the boys We would grab all of our hockey gear and my parents didn't want us playing on the street They thought that wasn't fair to the cars So just around the corner from our house was the public school Parking lot was clear on Saturdays all day and uh, we would go from morning right up until dinner time We'd forget to go home for lunch and uh, we would imitate the, the signature moves of the players that we watched on Saturday night in Hockey Night in Canada. We'd always uh, take turns picking our favorite team. And so on Saturdays, often, someone would pick the Toronto Maple Leafs and someone would pick the Montreal Canadiens. And uh, those two teams would play one another. And you know, as it says in the book of the Ecclesiastes, there's nothing new under the sun. Whenever Montreal and Toronto got picked, guess who won? You're right, it was Montreal. Nothing new under the sun. Sorry for the Leaf fans sitting out there this morning. We live in a world full of imitation. And as we continue our focus today on the the gospel, our focus today is on the gospel and our character. And for those of you here today who are followers of the Lord Jesus Christ, We should be striving as we think about the the life-giving, life-saving message of the gospel that's brought us to repentance and faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. We should be challenged in our thinking as a disciple, as a follower of Jesus, to strive to live out a life that is truly worthy of imitation. And this morning we need to ask ourselves two questions when we think about imitating uh, the gospel. When we think about... uh, being an imitator of the Lord Jesus Christ. Number one is this, is my life as a follower of Jesus truly worthy of the gospel? Philippians 1.27, Paul says, whatever happens, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel. And Ephesians 4.1, he also says, I urge you to live a life that is worthy of the calling that you have received. Question number two, what do I need to guard to ensure that I am living a life that is truly worthy of imitation? Listen to what the Apostle Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 1. This is a very challenging verse. It's a very bold statement by the Apostle Paul as he spoke to the church at Philippi. He says this, or the church at Corinth, follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. Follow my example, Paul says, as I do what? As I strive to follow the example of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now you may be sitting here this morning and you hear that verse and you think of the example of Christ and you say, I do not yet know Jesus Christ as my personal Lord and Savior. So I cannot set an example for others to follow. And if that is you here this morning, I would say to you today, today can be a day of salvation for you. You can start from this day and begin to live a life that truly is worthy of the gospel, because you come to that place in repentance and faith, believing that Jesus Christ died on the cross to pay the full price for all of your sin. See, in the book of Romans, we read this. It says, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. None of us here today are exempt, because we are all sinners in the sight of God. And then Romans 6, verse 23, the first half of that verse, it's bad news. It says the wages, or what we deserve to be paid for our sin, is death. And the Bible makes it very clear that death is eternal separation from God in a place called hell. That's the bad news. Thankfully, it doesn't end there, and there's good news. And that's really what the gospel means as we talk about the gospel. It's good news the wages of our sin is death, but the gift of God, a free gift offered to everyone, is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. And then Romans 5 verse 8 says this, but God demonstrated his own love toward us in this. While we were still what? Sinners, because all have sinned, Jesus Christ died for us. And then in Romans 10, it says this, that if we confess with our mouth Jesus is Lord, believe in our heart that God raised him from the dead, we will be saved. So today, today can be a day of salvation for you if you have not yet trusted Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior. And many of us here today would be glad to talk with you and answer questions that you may have what it means to come to repentance of sin and faith in the finished work of Jesus on the cross. And then you can say, follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. For those of us here today who do know Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, when we think of that statement, it's a statement that really every follower of the Lord Jesus Christ, not just the Apostle Paul, But every follower of the Lord Jesus Christ should be striving to live out in front of our spouses, our children, our grandchildren, our neighbors, our co-workers, the people that we go to school with from day to day. Anyone that we connect with from day to day should be able to hear that statement from us. Now, does any of us do it perfectly every day? Absolutely not. Because even as those who've come to repentance and faith we are sinners who have been saved by God's grace. And that old nature still constantly creeps in. The temptation is there for us to not live a life that is worthy of imitation. But with God's help, and as it says in First Peter, God's divine power has given us everything we need for life and godliness. We can do this. God did not set us up for failure when he saved us. And he keeps on pouring his strength into us through the God, the Holy Spirit, who lives within us. And we can live this kind of life. A life that is truly worthy of the gospel. Worthy of the character that needs to be in place for a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ. So this morning, I want to discover and talk about four areas that I believe we need to guard carefully if we truly are going to be able to make this statement. So let me pray for us again before we look into God's word and allow me to talk to the author of this incredible book before we study it together. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your goodness and your grace. At the start of our service, our worship team sang that beautiful song, Open the Eyes of My Heart, Lord. And those are the words from the Apostle Paul in the book of Ephesians as he prayed for the church at Ephesus that that you would open the eyes of their hearts. And Lord, I pray for that, for us this morning. That we be not only willing to listen, but allow you to speak to our hearts. And then as you speak to us, that we would also be willing to respond because your word always calls for response. So guide us by your spirit, we pray. We love you. We give you thanks in Jesus' name. Amen. If you'd go with me first to Ephesians chapter five, the first area that we need to guard carefully if we are truly going to live lives worthy of imitation, is this. We need to guard our walk. Guard our walk. And the Apostle Paul talks to us about this in Ephesians 5. Pick up with me, beginning in verse 15. Paul says this, Be very careful, then, how you live. Not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity, because the days are evil. Therefore, for this reason, do not be foolish, But understand what the Lord's will is. If we are going to live a life truly worthy of imitation, we have to guard our walk. One translation puts it this way, where my translation says, be very careful then how you live. It literally says, walk circumspectly. How many of you used the word circumspectly in your vocabulary this past week? Uh, It's an old English word. We don't use it often. But it really helps us understand what Paul is saying here when it talks about being very careful how you live. Circumspectly is a compound word. The first half of the word is the word circum. It's where we derive our English word for circumference. Now, are you smarter than a first grader this morning? Do you remember what circumference was in math class? right? It's the distance, what? Around the outside of a circle. So keep that picture in your mind. The second half of the word is the word spectly. It's where we derive, uh, again, an old English word uh, called spectacles, or as we call them today, eyeglasses. Many of you in this room, like me, uh, are wearing those eyeglasses. What do they help you to do? They help you to see clearly. If I took these eyeglasses off this morning, all of you would look incredibly fuzzy, but all of you would have a good-looking twin sitting to my left and to your right because my left eye would wander. These eyeglasses help keep it in the right place after surgery when I was four years of age. I've worn them since then, and they help me see clearly. It's okay for me to take them off in a congregation like this, and you look fuzzy. It's very different driving down the 401 across eight lanes of traffic if I were to take them off. I can't see clearly without these eyeglasses. So what is Paul saying here about walking circumspectly or being very careful how you live. He's literally saying, before you make any decision in your life, where you're going to go, what you're going to do, where you're going to spend the resources that God has blessed you with, what you're going to watch, what you're going to read, what you're going to allow to be taken into your heart and into your mind, literally look all around you before you make those decisions. So how do we know how to make decisions? good decisions Well, Paul goes on to tell us in the passage here he says be very careful then how you live not as unwise but as wise if one of our young people young adults came to you as an older adult and said where would I learn and find the wisdom of God for my life where would you direct them I would hope you direct them right here to the word of God because it's in the word of God that we find the wisdom of God for our daily life. Then he goes on to say again as we think about making these decisions not only do we need the wisdom of God he says making the most of every opportunity these are evil days so we need to live wisely therefore do not be foolish but what understand what the Lord's will is. Again if one of our young people or young adults came to you and said where do I discover the Lord's will for my life what would you answer them? I hope you would again say the will of God is found in the word of God. A couple of weeks ago at Young Adults, we were talking about uh, in the passage in Matthew chapter 5 where, where Jesus just raises the bar on the, the word of God and how important it is in the ser- as he expresses in the Sermon on the Mount for our daily lives. And uh, we, we wrapped up by talking about um, uh, six ways that can really be helpful in determining God's will for your life. And I shared those with them, but the first one of the six is the commandments see if we're not willing to do what God's already told us to do from day to day how can we expect God to direct us to the future he can't we've got to be moving towards God in our daily lives if we really want to know God's will for the future and often right when a young person comes there they're thinking of the future what's God's will for my life and they're going through a time in their lives where there's a, a lot of big decisions that they're going to be making about education, uh, maybe about marriage, uh, career, all those things, huge decisions at that age and stage of life. But unless any of us are willing to do what God's already told us to do from day to day, he cannot direct us towards the future. So again, we find the wisdom of God in the word of God. We find the will of God in the word of God and that's why we all need to be students of the word of God if we're going to be able to be very careful how we live if we're going to walk circumspectly so when those decisions come in life that we literally can look all around us and because we know the wisdom of God and we know the will of God for our daily lives, then we can walk in wisdom, and we can walk in the will of God. We can guard our ways very carefully because we will know the right decisions to make, the incredible value of the word of God. Spurgeon said this, train up a child in the way they should go, from the book of Proverbs. And then he adds this, but be sure to go that way yourself set the example for those who are coming up behind you and especially for for parents of young children and teenagers do all you can and your kids will know you won't do it perfectly but do all you can by way of example to guard your ways so that they see the example of the Lord Jesus Christ in your personal life as you live out your faith when I think of the value of the word of God in my life uh, I call it the safety of the backyard fence uh, As I've shared before, we immigrated from England when I was four years of age. We lived in Brampton in a one-bedroom apartment for a couple of years, and then my parents were able to scrape down a down payment of $1,000 to buy a $21,000 brand new house in Georgetown, a neighboring community uh, west of Brampton. And when we moved into that house, it had a huge backyard. In contrast to backyards today, it was a huge backyard. And uh, we loved playing in the backyard, but the first thing my parents did when we moved in that summer was they put a six-foot fence across the back of the yard. And then they put four-foot fences down the side with four-foot fences up to the side of the house with gates. Why all these fences? By the way, they put up four-foot fences because those were the days when people actually talked to their neighbors over the fence. (laughs) Today, what do we do? Small yards, big fences. (laughs) People don't communicate anymore. But anyways, we had this huge backyard to play in, but why all these fences? Was it to take away our fun at that point as a six-year-old and a nine-year-old? No, it was to keep us safe. A Couple of years after moving into that house, our neighbors whom we knew really, really well, uh, not only had they already put up fences around their yard and we shared one of those fences, they also put in an in-ground swimming pool. And then they put a fence around the swimming pool with a gate with a lock on the gate. Don't you love it when your neighbor puts in the in-ground swimming pool, and you get to enjoy it on occasion? Well, why all these fences in their yard? Again, it was to keep us safe. It wasn't to take away our fun, and I've realized as long as you and I strive to live within the parameters of the backyard fence of the Word of God, and this is what it provides for us, it gives us the parameters for us to live our lives as followers of the Lord Jesus as long as we stay within the parameters of God's word we have nothing to be concerned about as boys it's when we went over the fence is when we got ourselves into trouble look at the word of God that way in your life and if you're truly going to be able to guard your ways you need to know the truth of God's word 1st Timothy 4:16 says Paul says to to young Timothy watch your life and your doctrine carefully not just what you believe but also how you behave by way of example and Paul uh, as Timothy was a young pastor Romans 16 verse 19 be wise about what is good and innocent about what is evil you don't have to know what is evil in order to avoid it you just need to know what's good And then when evil presents itself, you'll know exactly what to do, because you know what is good. Where do you find out what is good and right? It's, again, I take you back to the Word of God. I so appreciate our pastors and others who preach here that the focus is on the Word of God. So important for us. And so you need that in your personal life as well as you dig into the truth of God's word. And as our young people wrestle with the future, and it's okay to wrestle with the future, it makes you stronger. But thankfully, we have others who can come alongside and provide counsel and advice. And my, one of those six things is seek counsel, not just the commandments, but seek counsel. But as you seek counsel from others as a young person or a young adult, uh, make sure, don't just take them for their word. Make sure their counsel always lines up with the word of God. And then you know it is good and godly counsel for your personal life. And often I know as parents, and we went through this ourselves, that when our children were growing up, and you're kind of wondering, what, what are my kids going to do with their life? Right? Do you ever think about that as a parent? You know, even when your kids are young, what are they going to do with their life? And you know what? I would say to you this morning, something I had to learn, you don't have to worry about what your kids are going to do. You really don't all you need to be concerned about is who they're going to be as a follower of Jesus. And again, do all you can by way of example so that they see Jesus in and through your life and they see the reality of your faith being lived out. And the Bible says clearly the steps of good men and good women are ordered by the Lord. So do all you can as a parent and those of your grandparents and are investing or even great-grandparents, do all you can to help them be a good man or a good woman for God. And then what does the Bible say? It's a promise. The steps of good men and good women are ordered by the Lord. Number one, to ensure our lives are worthy of imitation, we must guard our ways. Number two, we find in the book of Ephesians, if you go to Ephesians chapter four, we need to guard our words. We need to guard carefully the words that we speak. Ephesians four, verse 25 Paul again says this to the church at Ephesus, verse 25, therefore each of you must put off falsehood, speak truthfully to your neighbor. Why? We are all members of one body. And then in verse 29, do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. And then back in Ephesians chapter four and verse 15, instead speaking the truth in love. There are so many references throughout the scriptures related to our words or vocabulary. And as I encourage you to be a, a student of, your word, of the word yourself, uh, pick the next month that has 31 days and read through the book of Proverbs if you're looking for something to read through. 31 chapters, one chapter a day. And as you go through the book of Proverbs, I guess the next month with 31 days will be the month of July good summer reading as you go through there and you see all the wisdom of God in those verses just highlight the verses that speak about our words our vocabulary our speech uh, there's dozens and dozens of verses full of wisdom for us as we think but guarding our speech very carefully uh, James 1:19 says be quick to listen be slow to speak quick to listen slow to become angry As someone said, God gave us two ears and one mouth. We need to learn to use them in that proportion. You know, we remember the words spoken to us, right? By influential people in our lives. Our words can build up someone or they can tear them down. Let me just touch on three areas related to our words. Number one is words of encouragement. The Bible commands us as followers of Jesus to do what? Encourage one another. And I would say to you, more than ever today, we need to be encouraging one another within the body of Christ. There's so much going on in our world. There's so much pressure that that followers of Jesus are facing in their workplaces and our kids are facing in their schools. Depending where they go to school, there's so much out there. There's so much that comes through the media. And as we think about guarding our words, offer words of encouragement. When you see a young parent doing something right with their little children, encourage them. Remember when you were that age (laughs) and had little ones and how far encouragement goes. When you see a teenager or a young adult doing something right, encourage them because there's a lot in our world to beat them down and discourage them. Come alongside and say, you know what, I really appreciate how you handled that situation. I appreciate you stepping in and, and helping in that situation. Encourage our young people. There's 43 of them plus leaders up at Minioe this weekend as they were already prayed for. But when they come back, most of their weekend is not for fun. What are they doing? They're working to help get that camp ready for the summer, which will have influence on the lives of hundreds and hundreds of teenagers and children this summer. They're doing a small part to help get it ready. Praise God that they've gone. And yes, they'll be encouraged and challenged through the word, but also they are serving the Lord and working hard. So encourage them when they come back. Let them know, hey, I'm glad you went and appreciate the work that you have done. Who knows how God will use that in their lives in incredible ways. Build one another up in the body of Christ. Words of encouragement. I think back to my years, especially as a teenager and as a young adult, and uh, the church that I went to at that point, as I've shared before, I end up going there through riding on a Sunday school bus and got involved then in junior high and then in senior high, uh, the church was a good-sized church, but it, we didn't have a youth pastor, but we had a group of dedicated adults who loved teenagers for Jesus, and you know what? That kept me going back. They encouraged me in my young faith. They, they, they supported me. They prayed for me. It's small group leaders who, who were in regular contact And so when you were going through something challenging and they were aware of that, they would reach out to encourage and say, how did it go? I was praying for you. Or they knew you had a big math exam and they were just there praying and they would follow up with a call. Or maybe they came and had time to come to one of your sporting events just to be there on the sidelines to watch and to encourage. And I'm so grateful for that. I was preaching at a church in Kitchener back in March with a worship team from our school and there was an older couple sitting in the audience and I knew they went to that church but they were two of those youth sponsors who gave all kinds of dedicated time to pour into my life and I am so thankful for that. even have a couple of friends visiting here today and they weren't youth sponsors. They were part of that home church though there in Georgetown and you know what? They so encouraged me and they still do and I know they still pray regularly for my family when you've had those kind of people in your life, just reach out and say thank you and encourage them and say thank you for praying, thank you for supporting, thank you for loving me for Jesus. Words of encouragement. We live in a high-tech society and we appreciate high-tech. Lots of good things, lots of bad things, but lots of good things about high-tech. And I, but I would say to you today more than ever before, especially post-COVID, in a high-tech society, we need more high-touch personally into the lives of people. And so speak into one another, encourage within the body of Christ. Those that are serving the Lord on the front lines of our church, elders, pastoral staff, those are serving with our youth and our children and in our office, encourage them as they serve on those front lines. And not only with your words vocally or with an email or a Facebook message, those are all good, but take the time every once in a while to buy some of those little note cards and get them cheap at the dollar store. And just take some time by hand to write legibly so they can read it. And then either mail it to them or put it into their hands. That just goes a long way to encourage people. Number two, words of discipline. Paul said, speak the truth in love. But speak the truth. And Jesus even modeled this for us. The woman at the well, did he, was he loving in the words that he shared with her? Absolutely. He could have torn a strip off her. He didn't. But he did speak truth into her life and it changed her life forever the woman who was caught in adultery again jesus could have said things very differently but he did finally say to her after all the the accusers left because no one could cast the first stone no one was without sin what did he say to her go and sin no more he spoke truth he did it lovingly And I believe we do a terrible disservice to one another within the body of Christ if we see a brother or sister in Christ who is struggling in sin and we do not come alongside kindly and lovingly but speak the truth, not our opinion, but the word of God into their lives. Is that hard to do? Absolutely. But we need to be able to do it. And often it comes out of relationship with the person you have. And you pray earnestly when you go. One, you've looked at yourself first, as Jesus reminds us in Matthew chapter 7, take the beam out of your own eye before you can do that delicate spiritual surgery, that speck of dust in your brother or sister's eye. You got to do that first and then go with a lot of prayer and pray that God the Holy Spirit is already at work and they are delighted that you've come to speak truth into their lives. Again, not everybody responds that way but come the right way and speak words of discipline. And then lastly, words of direction to instruct and to help and lead those who are already doing and striving to live out God's will. Number one, a life worthy of imitation. Guard our walk. Number two, guard our words. Number three, we have to guard our work. Turn over with me to 2 Thessalonians chapter 3. Again, I encourage you, uh, maybe then take the month of August and go through the book of Proverbs all over again. And take a different color highlighter and highlight all the verses that speak to us about our work, about laziness, about <laughs> being slothful. There's all dozens of verses in the book of Proverbs related to our work ethic. Paul says this in 2 Thessalonians 3, beginning in verse 6, In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, we command you, brothers and sisters, Keep away from every believer who is idle and disruptive, does not live according to the teaching you receive from me. For you yourselves know how you ought to follow our example. We were not idle when we were with you, Paul says, nor did we eat anyone's food without paying for it. On the contrary, we work night and day laboring and toiling so that we would not be a burden to any of you. We did this not because we did not have the right to such help, but in order to offer ourselves as a model for you to imitate. Now, please understand, there are times in in many of our lives, maybe through unemployment, maybe through layoffs, that we just can't work the same. We understand that. But for the most part, God calls us to work. And where is your place of work? Maybe in the factory, maybe on the farm, uh, maybe driving a vehicle for your business, uh, it may be in retail, maybe in an office somewhere. If you're a student, I would say your place of work is where you go to school every day and maybe on top of that, you've got a part-time job. Uh, if you're a stay-at-home mom or a stay-at-home dad, that's your place of employment. That's your place of work. And we as believers need to have the highest example of a work ethic than anyone in our place of employment. We, we need to set the standard not to boast in ourselves but because as followers of the Lord Jesus Christ we want people to imitate our relationship with Christ and to have that high work ethic you cannot phone in sick when you are not sick one it's wrong (laughs) and number two it's a terrible example to your children or your grandchildren because they're gonna think daddy stayed home today phoned in sick I don't see him really being sick Again, just set the standard. And I love what it says in 1 Thessalonians 4, 11 and 12, very challenging verses. Paul says this, make it your ambition to lead a quiet life, to mind your own business and to work with your hands, just as we told you. Why? So that your daily life may win the respect of outsiders and so that you will not be dependent on anyone. Just by the way you do your everyday job, wherever your place of employment is, it sets an example for those who do not know Christ. You can earn the respect of those who are outsiders, outside the family of God, just by the way you do your work. Uh, Two summers, I was a sanitary engineer. That was my summer job, to pay my way through Bible college. I had two different jobs during those four summers, but I was a sanitary engineer. You know what that is, right? A garbage man. Uh, people would ask me at church, how did work go this week? I'd say, things were always picking up. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, about 20 tons a day we picked up. It was, I loved the job. It was a great job, and it paid good money, and paid my way through school for two years. Once I started there, the very first day of work all the summer students started. They'd hire for four months. All these university college students would come in and there was always extra grass cutting and all that work to do. They needed you know, extra work on the garbage trucks. The, uh, the, the, the regular guys, and back then it was all guys who worked at the works department, uh, they loved when the summer students came because they just got to drive the truck in the air-conditioned cab while we were the guys on the back. <laughs> the other eight months of the year, they had to share those responsibilities. But again, it was a great job. Absolutely loved it and I learned very quickly I got there the first day and they asked you know who are you where are you going to school so there was University of Toronto students There were Sheridan College students and I said Central Baptist Seminary they didn't have a clue what I was talking about they'd have nobody at the works department before who went to Central Baptist Seminary they said what what are you going to be afterwards I said well either probably a pastor or a missionary so from that day forward, they didn't call me Godfrey. For the two summers, they called me Padre. That was my nickname at the works department. Well, those guys liked playing baseball. Hey, I like playing baseball. And they would practice uh, four nights a week after work. And then on weekends, would play in tournaments, mostly on Saturdays, to help raise money for local charities. And the police officers would put in a team, and the fire department, and the paramedics, and the Lions Club. You know, there'd be about a dozen teams. And the works department would put in a team. I showed up for the very first practice and we practiced and then of course after practice what happens? Out come the coolers. And you know what's in the coolers, right? Now I wanted to stay. I'm going to hang out. These are the guys I'm getting to know. And do you know what happened the very first practice? I didn't even comment on this to anybody. As the beer came out of the coolers and went on the picnic table, there was a can of Coke in one of those coolers. That was for Padre. (laughs) I never said a word. But they just figured I don't drink. Now, I personally choose not to. The Bible leaves room for that, but with a lot of warnings. (laughs) But I personally chose not to. But they made sure, just out of respect, there was something in the cooler for me. We'd play in these tournaments, and uh, they would have a barbecue for lunch. The very first tournament, very first barbecue at lunch, guess what they asked me to do? I don't think they'd ever done this before. They asked me to pray for the food. They just figured that's the right thing to do. I can tell you, when if we made it to the final game, because there was a lot of beer during the day as well, I was the only guy in the outfield who knew where the ball was going. <laughs> <laughs> After I worked there and then I graduated from Bible college, I then spent two years in that same church that I basically spent all my teenage years in. I was a full-time intern, but I kept in touch with the guys from the works department. As long as you showed up with a box of donuts, you were a hero. But you know what happened? This blew me away. They would start reaching out to me, knowing knowing now I was a pastor and a pastoral intern in the church, and they would ask me questions. They would want to keep in touch. They'd be asking me questions about their marriage. I'm 21 years of age at this point. (laughs) What do I know about marriage? But you know what I could do? Is I could point them to what God's word says about marriage and share that with them. And so that relationship kept on during those two years. My final Sunday at that church before God directed me to be an assistant pastor at a church in another community, uh, the church allowed me to preach on that Sunday morning. It was kind of my wrap-up. I preached before, but kind of had that last Sunday to share some final words. Eight men from that works department, along with their spouses and their children, showed up for church that Sunday. Somehow they'd gotten the word that This was my last Sunday. I don't remember how that happened. And they didn't know it was a Baptist church because guess what happened when they walked in? They took all these beautiful pews in the front rows. (laughs) (laughs) And I can tell you, I could see looks. I was sitting on the platform at that point. Looks on people's faces in the church. Why are these people here? These were not the normal men who came to church. But out of respect, and I don't share that boastfully. Please understand I just shared, out of respect, they came to hear me preach on that Sunday. And I'm so thankful for that. But what I learned from that work experience is that God has strategically placed all of us, wherever your place of employment is, as ambassadors for Christ. And we need to be faithful to that high calling. Paul said to the church at Philippi, you need to shine like stars in the universe as you hold forth the word of life. And you know what, in a dark world... Places you go from day to day, places I will never be, (laughs) but you're there, and God has strategically placed you in those places to have significant influence for the message of the gospel. Just by the way you do your daily work, you can win the respect of those who do not yet know Jesus Christ. And as the hope would be, as you pray for those people that you work with, as you live out the reality of your relationship with Jesus and you shine like a star in the universe, that then that opens the door for them to ask you questions about the reality of your faith. And I would pray God would give you incredible opportunities to share the clear, unashamed message of the gospel. Know a few verses by heart that you can share. Know your personal story. Most people will give you three minutes to share your personal story and include some verses in that and allow God to use you to share the good news of the gospel. You don't save anyone, God does. But God delights in using you to plant the seed, others to water the seed, and then God gives the increase. You know, I thought of our church, you know, corporately. That's for us individually. <laughs> but I thought of us corporately as a church family and the incredible influence. You know, I think last Sunday, uh, Pastor Andreas said there was like almost 550 people here. <laughs> in the building, plus people online. Just think of the incredible opportunity we have to be those ambassadors for Christ and the influence we can have. I thought, you know, I know our church ministers to many different communities, but I just thought, just take the the town of Elmira. I think in the 2021 census, it said 11,000. Could we ask God as a church, could we ask, as we think about the gospel, could we ask God for 2%, 2%, just 2%, of the population of Elmira to come to repentance and faith in the Lord Jesus Christ in the next five years. Have you done the math already? How many people would that be? 220. Would that change our church? Absolutely. We already have some space problems. <laughs> We're just going to have a much larger space problem. But wouldn't that be incredible? That's just Elmira, let alone all the other neighboring communities that are impacted by your life and your witness and corporately as we think of the gospel again discarding the way we do our everyday work and the influence that God can use us to have and by the way when we think of a work ethic it's really important to have a solid work work ethic even though I had unsaved parents they modeled for my brother and I what it meant to have a good work ethic I can tell you this if we were bored at home then there was always a job to do So we learned never to say, I'm bored. (laughs) There's always toys to play with or stuff to do. But there was always jobs to do as well. And they modeled a solid work ethic for my older brother and I. But with that, we also need to guard carefully our identity is not in our work. Uh, That's a tough thing for pastors, I can tell you that. Our identity is not in our work. Our identity is in Christ. God works through our work. And that's why biblically we are commanded to take time to do what? To rest from our work now that can look different for everybody (laughs) but we are commanded to rest and so if you're not doing that one pastor i served with for many years said either you take a sabbath a rest or you will take a sabbath and it's far better to do it voluntarily as god's commanded us to than god to sometimes put us on the sidelines for an extended period of time often it's related to a health issue because god says you're not resting so i'm going to make you rest So, we need to do that. So, keep that in mind when you think of your work. And then, lastly, as we wrap up in Ephesians chapter 6, we need to guard our will or we need to guard our souls. And Paul, there in Ephesians 6, talks to us about the armor of God. To put on the full armor of God, I believe we need to do that every day because there's a battle for our souls, our wills. And we need that protective armor. And we need the word of God, and we need time and prayer. Those are all listed in the armor of God in order to be able to take our stand against the devil's schemes. Satan and his army of demons are at work in our world, and he he and his demons absolutely hate you and me as a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ. He hates your family if you're striving to live out a life worthy of imitation, and will do all that he can to thwart you truly living that example for Christ. So we need the full armor of God so that we can take our stand. I've discovered that the very areas we are commanded to love God in, heart, soul, strength, and mind, right? Love the Lord your God. (laughs) With all those four things, those are the very things that Satan attacks. Sometimes he'll attack your heart, your, your emotions. Sometimes he will attack your mind. Sometimes he'll attack your body, your strength. We see that in the life of Job. Sometimes he'll attack your very soul. Sometimes he'll attack all four at once. (laughs) He's very strategic. And so we just need to guard carefully our will, our souls. And we can't do that by ourselves. If we go into battle day to day without the armor of God, (laughs) and having spent time in the word of God and in prayer before we go out, then we can expect to be defeated. But again, God did not set us up for failure. He's given us what? Everything we need for life and for godliness to truly live out a life that is worthy of imitation so figure out a way that works for you to put on the full armor of god every day and don't you love the verse that jesus said greater is he who is what in you than he who is in the world the victory is ours we can stand strong and we can go long in our journey with jesus living a life Worthy of the gospel, a life worthy of imitation. Can you say today, follow my example as I follow the example of Christ? Let's pray together. Father, thank you for this time today. Thank you for the truth of your word. Lord, it is so convicting, it's so challenging, it's so personal. And Lord, you know the hearts of every individual here this morning and those watching online today. And Lord, I would just pray. That our hearts are open to not only have heard the word of God today, but Lord, that we would desire and we would strive with your help to put it into practice every day. That truly, in our places that we go from day to day, and in our families, in our church family, that we truly live lives that are worthy of the gospel, that are worthy of imitation. Because character is what really counts thank you for this time we love you we give you thanks in Jesus name amen I'm going to invite the worship team to come and we're just going to sing a song that's an older song but uh, is very responsive it simply says take my life and let it be Lord consecrated to the men you can't sing take my wife and let her be okay this is personal take my life and let me be so let's stand together as we sing and allow God just to use these words of the song to uh, cement in your heart what we've heard from the word of God this morning. God's mercy, present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing unto Lord, which is your act of spiritual worship. And be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may be able to test and approve the good, acceptable, and perfect will of God. And God does not set us up for failure. He's given everything we need for life and for godliness. And we can leave this place today as followers of the Lord Jesus Christ and we can say, God, help me to live a life that is truly worthy of the gospel, truly worthy of imitation. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this time. We love you. Thank you for your amazing grace. And Paul shared about that right at the start of our service. Uh, the grace of God that is shown in so many ways to us and we leave this place with a desire to take that grace, the message of grace and mercy to a lost world And Lord I pray you would help myself and help my brothers and sisters in Christ amongst those who do not yet know Christ as well amongst our brothers and sisters in Christ, our families amongst our friends to truly live lives that are worthy of the gospel that are worthy of imitation. We love you. We give you thanks in Jesus' name. Amen. If we can help you with anything you have seen or heard this morning, we'd be delighted to chat with you afterwards. God bless you. Have a great day.